Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Litecoin Underground Podcast. Uh, this week, I thought was one of the most interesting conversations we've had, um, and maybe selfishly. Uh, I often kind of toss around in my mind these different chains and what they're doing with the variance in block times and block sizes and inflation rates and um, even some of the proof of stake versus proof of work thoughts and what's really the best solution. And I think what's great is having all these various kind of manifestations of the same basic idea and being able to kind of compare like what's the benefit and what are the trade-offs that you're having with each one. And so, you know, I mean, as you guys always know, I'm always one to think that, hey, we're better off having a whole lot of different coins that are viable and each person can kind of choose what's best for them. You know, some people may not mind the low inflation rate of Monero or the lowering inflation rate of Doge because there's the trade-off they're going to have fairly small fees. And like we even talked about block sizes and flexible block sizes. So uh, the person that came in, I don't even know what their handle. I think it's like at underscore Bitcoiner or something like that. Um, I follow him and, you know, he and I engage a lot in comments and I just asked him to come in because he's always had just a very interesting perspective on kind of what the maybe security models of the different coins are. So it was long and it was really just a two man show and I thought it was really, I don't know, I really enjoyed it. So I hope he comes back on. We have some more good conversations about it. But, you know, we talked about Bitcoin, Litecoin and Monero. And of course, those are the three main coins on Cake Wallet, the official wallet of the Litecoin Underground. So, guys, as always, I bring them up every week. Of course, they sponsor the show, and they are really generous to to us to always give us airtime. Anytime I ask them to come into the spaces, they do, and I try to go join their spaces as well. So, um, I think Miss Teen Crypto is a big big supporter as well. If you follow her, I recommend that. So, check them out. They're in the App Wallet. It's a self-custody wallet. You can buy inside the wallet. You can trade inside the wallet. And, you know, I mentioned this last week. When I needed to buy an ordinal, I don't hold Bitcoin ever. So it was very easy for me to just go into my light, my uh, Litecoin and my Cake wallet, swap into Bitcoin, and send it where I needed to send it. So it just makes it really easy to be able to interact with these different uh, protocols. And if a, you run into somebody who wants one of the other coins, you can you can make that swap. So uh, So enjoy the show. I think this was a really interesting one, and I'm probably going to even listen back myself a couple times because I'm sure there's some things I missed. So uh, have a good week, and I appreciate the support. Bye. before my time. I don't know what I got in my head today. Breaking the Law by Judas Priest. That's like some early, early metal right there. 
All right. So I feel like I, I look back. I was on Twitter probably too much the last seven days. And I feel like there's a million things to cover. Um, so I'll try to do them in some kind of concise way. And hopefully we have some news stuff to cover. And I don't know, maybe some other fun stuff. So uh, if anybody comes to this because uh, that video I made yesterday, I guess, uh, welcome. You know, maybe it's the first time you're listening to me or I know I did the Litecoin Foundation spaces last Friday. Um, if you guys haven't had a chance to check that out, actually, it's on my podcast today and uh, it should still be on the Litecoin Foundation's uh, X page or whatever. Um, but yeah, so if you're coming from from that and you heard me for the first time from there, yeah, welcome for that. So what I'm going to do, I want to cover uh, that video a little bit and try to maybe give you a little idea where my thinking was and... Some other stuff. Remember, I don't know if you guys remember last week. I said it kind of. I had kind of an epiphany in the spaces last week, and it might be a little out of left field because there's actually there's somebody in here I'd ask to come in because I don't know, just something maybe to get deep into the whole fee structures and proof of work and everything. But anyway, so I want to talk about that video yesterday because it's really hard in a video sometimes to like knock it out the way you want to knock it out and talk about in depth what it is that. Uh, I'm discussing. So if you didn't see it, uh, you can go check it out. It's like five or six minutes long. And basically that guy from LightSpark, he's the CEO. Apparently he was former CEO of PayPal. He tried to help Facebook launch their coin at one point in time. And, you know, essentially what the guy's doing, in my opinion, is trying to use Bitcoin as kind of like this marketing ploy. And this is something that's just really gotten under my skin Ever since, you know, uh, Michael Saylor a long time ago, he said, you know, the world's going to run on the U.S. dollar on Bitcoin rails. Like, I just feel like that was a really weird thing to say for a person who's supposedly this huge proponent of Bitcoin. And um, essentially what what these people are doing is they're trying to create systems where they're just they're blurring the lines of what Bitcoin does and trying to make you feel like you have to engage with some sort of company or, you know, uh, <laughs> some process or spend some fee to a company in order to help you spend your Bitcoin. Now, granted, I know Bitcoin can get expensive, but I just feel like it's this, this choke point of, I don't even, and I don't know if it's the congestion so much as it is people's fear of handling the money like privately custodying that pe that they're taking advantage of. But, you know, the guy said, I think I pointed out two key things. He said something like, um, there's no way to send money across borders today, you know, without like incurring these fees. Like there's no global monetary network is one thing he said, which is like, there's many global monetary networks. And, and I just, I don't know. There was that one. I'm not, not forgetting the other thing he said, but I don't know. It was just something that struck me that uh, Strike says it. Jack Mahler's is in this same boat. Sailor talking about his Lightning Network businesses he's creating. Uh, even like Chivo Wallet, I think I'm not sure that that's Lightning Network. As far as I know, that's essentially the government of El Salvador controlling a Lightning Network kind of hub, so to speak. And then even like, um, I think it was Blue Wallet that was claiming they were on the Lightning Network and they weren't. So there's just all this, I guess, all these businesses trying to be 
trying to build themselves around Bitcoin when the reality is there is not a business. I've been saying this for almost two years. There's no business to be built around Bitcoin. If you're or Litecoin or Dogecoin or whatever it is, if you're wanting to send money from person A to person B, you don't need anything else. And so all these companies that are like, yeah, we're going to facilitate the process or we're going to, I don't know, make it so that you can accept payment at a store or that you can accept your paycheck. Those are services. Those are nice. And some people may use them, but ultimately there's no value that they can provide in the actual movement of money anymore. So I don't know. And it's something that's been bothering me too. Um, I almost hate to say it like the Bitcoin cash crowd. They, I think they are onto something when they say that BTC kind of became like this banker's coin, so to speak. Um, I think they're wrong on the whole block size thing, the way they're going about it. But um, I don't know. It's just been something that's been been on my mind. I think as Litecoin, we're kind of positioned in this way where we, yes, we're associated very closely with Bitcoin. We're very similar. That doesn't mean we necessarily have to follow the exact same path, you know? So I don't know. Bitcoin's being embraced by the biggest banks. It's being custodied. It's being censored. And its audience, for the most part, is like unrecognizable from five years ago. There's one guy. Did you guys see the post today that got popular yesterday where he was saying, I don't care about KYC. I don't care about privacy. Like a free society is all you shouldn't have any secrets. And I'm like, what the what is going on here? Right. <laughs> so I don't know. These are some things I want to talk about. And um, yeah, I don't know if, if you guys got other things. I know uh, Animal, if you want to come up, we were, we were talking earlier about speaking of Lightning Network, Coinbase is adding Lightning Network, which I which I want to be clear. I don't think the Lightning Network itself is like some sort of scam. I don't think that it can't have its use cases. Like I do think like Coinbase to Binance, Binance to Kraken, moving between exchanges where you've already given your permission. You're already in a system that uh, requires permission. You're not going to be able to move from one place to another without having an account and all that stuff anyway. So it just ultimately is like a shared database among these various businesses. But once you step outside of that and you try to escape kind of the hub, the big business entities, it doesn't really function the way you would want it to function. And so, again, it starts to feel very much like a bank that doesn't really have anything to do with the original point of Bitcoin. You know, did you find out more animal about the implementation on Coinbase? Um, I just found that they were talking about the fact that they were going to implement it eventually, but that they don't have it. I, I agree with you. I, I don't. I don't think Lightning is the penultimate version of Bitcoin. Um, the whole, you know, you're still you're still relying on someone else to get uh, transactions through. And I'm I'm, a, I'm just a big fan of layer one of like permissionless um, transactions, peer to peer. The simpler, the better, in my opinion. You know, you know what struck me in that interview was the guy. I don't know his name. He's the host. I mean, let me, let me squawk there. Yeah let, yeah. me, let me pull it up. The dark haired guy. He's looks a little younger. He's probably, you know, on TV, they always make themselves look a bit younger, but, um, 
what I was surprised is that the guy said, he's like, well, you know, today, if I go outside and somebody's a, a tourist from Japan and I want to send them money, this is what the guest said. There's no way for me to send him money today. And the host was like, well, what about like Venmo or something? The guy's like, well, no, you know, if you guys don't both have the same app and they haven't registered on that bank's account or whatever, then it can't happen. And this host who's supposed to be a proponent of Bitcoin didn't say, well, yeah, they can. They can just download a Bitcoin wallet. I can just send them Bitcoin. You know what I mean? It was like so obvious yeah, right yeah. in your face. That's the whole point. You don't have to speak the same language or have bank accounts connected and all that stuff. You don't even need to be in the same physical space, right? And so that's where it just starts to feel like that felt like if you start, if I'm going to be a conspiracy theorist, it feels like a setup of an interview, right? I'm going to ask you this. You're going to say this so that I can come tell you about my my business venture. And the fact that the part where Bitcoiners were celebrating this, when the guy, the fact, he said, he said, yeah, there's no global monetary network where you can send money today. He said like that, those specific words was like, aren't the Bitcoiners going red alert? Like, what are you talking about? Yes, there is. But they've been, they've been maybe told that it doesn't exist. I don't know. I don't even, I can't believe that that got like support from the Bitcoin crowd, you know? Yeah. I feel like the guy was really shilling his company and there, there should have been some pushback, but the fact that, you know, he was also shilling lightning, um, kind of promotes her agenda. I don't know. I, from what, from what I understood, his network looks and sounds a lot like, um, liquid in a way, liquid and uh, the drive thing, drive chains thing put together where you could have different currencies and, um, swap in and out of them using the, 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 the lightning network as uh, as some kind of backhaul uh, transaction handler. I, did yeah. You, did you watch my video? I did. Yeah. Okay. So what I think, I think there, there's probably, you know, you have this bank of settlement, like these international banks. So like, if you do want to send money to Japan as an example, you go to your bank, you give them money. There's some sort of like, this is just my guess. I think it has to do with liquidity. Somebody who's got a whole bunch of money carries a whole different basket of currencies and essentially does your swap overnight and charges you a fee or something like that. Where the Lightning Network does enable you to kind of bypass that. So if I'm a business in the US, I don't have to deal with that bank anymore. I can just create accounts on both sides of the ocean that are maybe registered with those governments or whatever. And I can facilitate the trade by myself as long as I have cash on both sides. Does that make sense? Right. As long yeah. As I had so on the left side and I got dollars on the right side. That's what I was saying. They can put, they can just basically credit you for the dollars you put in, in the U S They'll just credit your account with a Bitcoin. Then they just move it over their own Lightning Network and then credit the Japanese account. And that's where I said, Bitcoin's not being used in that. Like it could be anything. It could be, they could make their own token up. They could put a stable coin on the Lightning Network. They could put Litecoin. They could put Dogecoin. The actual, using the word Bitcoin to me is just a marketing. It's a gimmick. 
And yeah. yeah, the other thing, like he's he's talking about fiat currencies. This is not something that, you know, <laughs> this is not something the mo the movement really supports, right? Like we're we want to get away from fiat, you know. Um, why not transact over Lightning, uh, Lightning or Litecoin or Dogecoin, Monero? Why go through the hassle of, you know, I guess these days you have to use Swift or something. But if if retailers were able to easily accept these things. Um, I guess as time goes on, you know, integrations will increase. I think that's the ultimate goal. And this guy is kind of taking a step backwards and yeah, saying like, oh, yeah, we can use this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, we can use this this next gen of currency um, to facilitate like the old fiat currencies that are strangling the American people, the Canadians and, you know, people in Japan, too. Like the, the idea is to get away from the corrupt nature of um the banking system, right? And like curb inflation in a in a healthy and natural way. Assuming that the whole uh, you know finite supply of, of cryptocurrencies is the way to go, which I mean that's what I'm banking on. But this guy's going around trying like he's a PayPal exec. Okay, he's I I don't like using the term, but he's kind of a boomer. He kind of used a lot of like he, a lot of the phrases he used were boomer phrases, you know trying to be hip like at some point at <laughs> some point the host is asking him like he's drilling down he's like yeah so what about this you know and like the guy's like let me double click on that like, double click <laughs> the <laughs> hell are you talking about <laughs> double he's click like, oh, on shut that up. that ruins my whole shtick here that's probably what he's trying to tell him put a pause on that for a second uh yeah this guy's a, a marketing exec like he's i don't know I mean, just seem I, fake. I feel like, don't you feel like the news is kind of they they bring you in, they set you up with what you want to talk about, they let you kind of go because they're just looking for content, right? So maybe there's paid spots, I don't know, but even if it's just the guys, you know, maybe his company advertises with the network, so he's gonna get. I don't know. I mean, I'm being a conspiracy theorist in that sense. I mean, I know that happens, right? But I just don't understand. I don't understand the need for these companies and I feel like they're just inserting themselves in the conversation. And I don't know if the bigger problem is like in that situation, the problem is custody. It's almost like they're trying to take a headache away from you. Like, again, you could easily just go to Coinbase, buy a Bitcoin and send it over to whoever your buddy is in Japan and they could just cash it out. Like, why does it like, exist? It's so ridiculous. Any any giant exchange is like Binance is better, right? Like, I don't know. Coinbase is better. I I like Coinbase. These guys are cool. Hey, speaking of exchanges and stuff, um, I I mentioned on on X that there was a um a survey that I had to take. Well, yesterday morning I woke up and was greeted with uh, a post from at Surveys, which is an X survey thing. I don't even know if I'm allowed to share this with you guys because uh, I, don't, I don't think a lot of, I don't think any Americans got this survey because it had to do with uh, BitGet, which is an exchange, which is, I think, five years old or something. Is Anyways, it a Canadian exchange? Um, they support Canada. They're international. Uh, they support a bunch of countries. Uh, United States isn't one of them. Um, you know, they don't, they don't support South or North Korea and a couple of others uh, that are, I guess I have a stronger stance against crypto. But anyways, listen to this. So this is a survey from X, the official surveys account. 
and they're telling they're asking questions like you know do you own any crypto you how long have you been interested in crypto have you ever heard of bitget do you have a bitget account like all these crypto and bitget related questions um so like whatever i answer it's cool i should have taken screenshots like that was it was too early in the morning for me to think straight but <laughs> <laughs> i should have taken screenshots because then afterwards i saw this ad like on the side of uh of the homepage of x and it had to do with with bitget and i click on the thing it was like a, a you know promoted post sponsored post and i get this like overlay of the bitget token raining down my screen so like a bunch of coins with blue bitget coins just raining down like a waterfall on my screen and i'm like what the hell? i've never seen that before on x so it's like a sales force thing or something isn't it <laughs> you get the I same goes, yay <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it was like that like the little fire fireworks and stuff going off in the background no, but I, I've never seen that. And it leads me to believe that maybe they're going to have a partnership coming up. You know, why would X go through the effort of um, that or BitGet paid like an arm and a leg to have that done? Um, it could be. But I know that in the States, you know, he's out and he's got like four money services uh, license or money. Was it the, yeah, the money services licenses? He's got eight rather out of the 50 that he needs to service the entirety of the United States. Maybe his international partner is going to be Bitget. Maybe he's going to try to do something, uh, you know, he's going to try to do something homebrewed uh, in the States. I it's Like I said, I mean, it, it certainly feels like you know, he's not, as much as people want to cheer on Elon, he's not going to do this for charity, right? Oh, so no. he's going to get an exchange. It's probably a great way for him to monetize X. Like, you know, he paid a lot of money for it. He had some struggles with advertising, so if he can find a way to be a, a money changer and you know peel off a one or two percent of all the transactions that happen on here, that's a good deal for him, right? And that's it. And if you consider that X is an international platform, um, these monetary rails that we have currently in place, like the Swift network and whatever, even Venmo, uh, PayPal is pretty, I guess, international as well, but Venmo. I think it's the most popular one that you guys have in the States. We, we don't have it in Canada, and I'm sure you don't have it elsewhere. And if they can leverage these exchanges and maybe uh, cryptocurrencies like Doge to facilitate ad revenue, you know, or like some kind of subscription revenues, I think that'd be, that'd be pretty smart. Um, you cut the middleman straight out, you know what I mean, well, at know, the same you know, TikTok time. TikTok does... Um... You know those lives that TikTok does? The ice cream's so good. <laughs> those girls or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those, I was curious about that. Trust me, I haven't done anything. I'm just looking at it. But, you know, it'll say, like, you can send them something. And it was like a coin for a rose or something. I was like, I, and I looked at them up. I was like, well, how much are these things? You can click on this button. It'll tell you, like, for 29 cents or something, you get 10 tokens or something. So it's, like, incredibly cheap. But obviously... I, mean, I didn't go through the process, but I'm assuming at some point I got to hook up. I either have to buy the coins like through a flat credit card transaction or maybe you hook up an account to it or something like that. Um, but that's a big barrier, right? Because like you just said, like if TikTok wants to do that all over the world, they all of a sudden have to make these partnerships with some sort of banking facility all over the world or get the yeah. license. You know, but if suddenly this international app has international currencies – yeah, it starts to get like, can Twitter 
essentially facilitate using crypto and maybe not even be that loyal to one or the other. Just say like, you know, Cake added ETH, you know, and if you go on ETH, they can, there's so many freaking tokens on ETH, it's crazy. But yeah, you get to like Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin, ETH, and let's even say Bitcoin Cash, since they're in all these major ones. Those five are going to service 95% of, and maybe Tron, since Tron is the stable coin one, right? So right. 98, 99% of crypto transactions, like real monetary transactions are probably from those five or six networks. And uh, yeah, that, that could open up a lot of, um, a lot of doors. It'll definitely put some pressure on, if people use it, put some pressure on the chains and it'd be interesting to see what happens, but it might be the same type of thing. You just buy credits and whatever. I mean, listen, you may not even know like, which coin you're using, honestly. When I travel, I use my visa, right? And it works everywhere. Even if it has to do the exchange and I have to pay fees, it's, it's super inefficient. You know, you're losing at least five or 6% on each transaction that you, that you do overseas because of slippage in the exchange rate. And of course they're taking their cut. And of course, Visa also charges the merchant like 3%. So it's this is like a system that it works. We have, everybody has it. And if, you know, if you don't care about money, if you're not pension, uh, pension pennies, it's not, you're not going to, like this argument that we're having isn't going to convince anyone to change their habits, right? But for everyone else, you know, everyone else who's, who's feeling the pinch of inflation, who's feeling that their rents are increasing and their mortgage rates are increasing beyond their means, like they're gonna they're gonna be looking for ways to to save on that. Of course, you know, traveling is not gonna be one of the one of the things that they're gonna be focusing on. But you know, if they do have to do some kind of international settlement, they're gonna be looking for ways to to do it cheaply. Um, yeah, like I I don't think this this uh, lightning network that this guy was uh, whatever that we were talking about is the answer. I think I think Bitcoin and Litecoin are great options, and it's just a question at this point. Um, making people making merchants feel comfortable accepting it um i think that's always been the challenge right it's always kind of been you know we do have these atms all over the all over the world but a pos terminal like like a verifone that globally has a crypto option is really what's needed um i, th I think it was it there's I'm not sure if it's Moneris or Verifone or something, but in one of their latest updates, and this was probably like two years ago, they did enable uh, Bitcoin transactions. And for some people, it's just a question of upgrading the firmware. Um, and then I think there's something you have to do in the back end, like with their merchant services. I'm not sure how, how that worked out in the end for them. But yeah, if, if I could go like layer one to layer one, that would be my ideal. You know, Cake Wallet's yeah, great. It's going to be really hard to do in in like the x app i almost wonder the big the big i don't i don't almost want to dive into this too much but like the big pickle is like if you deposit let's say you say i want to buy some i want to use some money to tip people on twitter whatever it might be or pay for my subscriptions on twitter you know they i guess if you're choosing that i'm gonna buy put my dogecoin on there then you're willing to ride the market. Most people are just going to be like, just give me a stable coin, right? Yeah, businesses like, especially. Yeah, here, here's an interesting thing that I, I find, I've always found fascinating is the gift card business. 
right? So if you're Walmart, like Walmart or something has something, they sell like something like $15 billion in gift cards, some insane number. And so they always have this, they get like instant cash flow, right? So at Christmas time, you go take a hundred bucks, you give it to Walmart, you get a gift card, you give it to somebody. They might not spend it until, you know, January, February. Sometimes that shit gets lost, you know. Expires after a year, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it does. Maybe not that. But even so, let's just take that out of the equation. It's like instant cash influx. You know what I mean? Like that company can take that $15 billion and put it to work for themselves. They can pay debts off with it. They can earn interest on it. And so the idea that you could like deposit money into Twitter to use for tips and subscriptions and whatnot. Like a subscription doesn't cost Elon I mean, it costs them like a portion of whatever you're paying. I mean, he has, has to pay the creators. But like a lot of this stuff, you're depositing it and then it's just sitting until you actually use it. And so it could be a way for him to raise a shitload of cash, again, to to basically pay himself back for the platform that he bought. Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. Do, you think, do you think he would have a wallet just to, just to do some like fractional reserve banking on us? Because I, I think that's where we're going next. We're going in the direction that we're going to have like an X wallet, right? It's going to support a bunch of currencies. Yeah. I mean, do you think like, what's, what's the term that they use? Um, these exchanges, Kraken does it with their, uh, rehypothecation. Well, they, they have a Merkle, uh, some kind of Merkle hash that can verify their assets, right? You can check and see if you, if your coins are actually on the exchange and if their, their, uh, books say that they, you know, you can verify Oh, that they has, have the, the coins, that? Kraken. Uh, let me just because oh. I'm rambling you here. Kraken. Just... You, you call it Kraken, huh? Isn't it release the Kraken? Isn't that what that is? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Proof <laughs> of reserves using what is this? Thing? So you you know that your coins are somewhere in there. Yeah, you can use. They have like some some API or like some some code you can use. To verify that um, your coins are actually there uh, in their in their custody, and I mean that's something that's great. It prevents them from you know from playing two sides of the books. You know what I mean? Like uh, FTX and Alameda was doing. Um, it really reinforces people's confidence um, with respect to like any hacks or any kind of any kind of shenanigans that might happen. Um, and I think it's in the true spirit of crypto, right? To not do this, to not follow the 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 path of fractional reserve banking. Um, yes, yeah, too bad. It? Just, just power or Jesse, Jesse Powell. Jesse Powell. Right? Yeah. yeah. He left, but it's too bad. I feel like he almost, I think he bugged out like Charlie bugged out. <laughs> he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Cause I don't want to put myself in the crosshairs. Yeah. Know? I think, I think he, he already, uh, you know, he, he mooned himself and it was like, you know, I don't need this crap. <laughs> this is, well, but he it's just a, a liability. He had stress. a good, he's got a good, he's got the ethos, right? Like he knows he's trying to do the right things. And it's unfortunate that, you know, I think once the banking world gets involved, it starts to get very intimidating. So, but I, I want to, um, let me see if I can bring him up here. So, this is somebody who's got very few followers, but he and I engaged quite a bit and had an interesting conversation last week, or at least via text, I guess, via X. So last week we were talking about fees and we've always talked about like 
well, Bitcoin fees, I think me and Indigo were talking about like, well, Bitcoin fees, you know, they're going to need to go up to a hundred and some odd dollars a transaction. And I'm saying that's not going to happen. And Indigo is like, well, sure, businesses will pay that. And for some reason, I feel stupid that this has taken me this long to dawn on me. But it's not like the system is going to demand $150 fees, right? It's not that you're going to go and that the only way you're going to get to use Bitcoin is if it costs $150. The reality is it's a demand market. And so what clicked with me for some reason took so long is like no one's ever going to pay that. Like demand will never get to the point where I need to get my transaction on and I have to use Bitcoin. It's the only thing that I'm willing to use and I'm willing to pay $150 to get on this network. And I have no other options, right? I can't just use either another network. I can't use cash. I can't, I can't like use credit. You know, businesses wouldn't do that to each other. Everyone goes, oh, well, these businesses will just use it. It's like, there's no small business or even big business that's going to pay a hundred and some dollars a transaction. It's just not a functional system, right? And I, and it got me really thinking like, well, if transaction fees don't materialize, which I'm, I will tell you, I strike me dead with lightning, God, if in 10, 15 years, there are full blocks with 40, $50 transactions, it's, it ain't fucking happening. Not at one, not yet. Yeah, not, we're not gonna have one megabyte blocks with $50 transaction fees, 5,000 transactions every 10 minutes, 24 hours a day. Shit ain't happening. So the security budget's going to drop, like, and that's okay. That doesn't mean the end of the world because we haven't had 51% attacks. We haven't, or we haven't seen any 51% attacks do any sort of like long-term damage to a chain. And uh, this Bitcoiner, I know I'm saying some crazy stuff tonight. Like I, you know, alluded like Bcashers were right in a little bit of a way in some ways, but uh, you're Bitcoin. You say you're Bitcoin maximalist, but I don't get the sense you are. And you were talking about how 51% attacks are, they are, they can happen, but they're ultimately, there's no game theory reward for anybody to do them, right? I mean. But, and by the way, welcome for coming in. I, I, I appreciate engagement with you. It's nice yeah. to talk to you. <laughs> uh, can you hear me clearly? I, this, I don't yeah, really yep. Yep, I got you. test the setup. Um, so what I really mean by that is, uh, I don't know if anyone saw the video I posted of uh, Antonopoulos, right? Antonopoulos, right. Um, Basically, what he was trying to say, or I think he said it pretty well, is I'll put it a different way. The act of mining is a 51% attack. You're just creating the longest chain. If you read Satoshi's emails when he's trying to explain it to them, they're like everybody keeps trying to come up with this attacker scenario and he keeps shutting them down. And the only thing he says is longest chain wins. Now, there's already consensus around, uh, you know, the software decides what chooses the longest chain and the, the miners and the node operators decide which software to use. And... So that's the selection process. So when people say mining is security, it kind of tells me that they don't understand the security model. It's one section of the security. 
It is, it is one aspect of the security. It is to prove that, yes, I did the work to make the time be 10 minutes. You know why the time is 10 minutes? The time is 10 minutes so that there's time for the message to broadcast to all the nodes because they're all 51% attacking each other constantly and they need 10 minutes to agree that someone did the work. That's all it is. It's not, uh, you know, to keep the bad guys at bay and all. Like, that is one small aspect of it. The thing is to entice the bad guys to be on your side and to make malicious actors basically lose incentive. They'd rather just go do something else with their compute that would be more profitable, right? You right. really have to have a vendetta. Uh, you really have to not care. You'd have to come up with this, like the Joker of cryptocurrency who just <laughs> has to go after Batman for no other motivation than he's just evil and crazy and ha also happen to control half more than half the network for forever because forking is also a feature. This is open source software. Um, and I, I haven't really heard anybody that can argue against those points or I haven't really seen in reality where something that's being 51% attacked wasn't already dying anyway. It's not the 51% attacks that killed it. It was the fact that the network had no support to begin with. So I, or that the I, incentives I, were kind of misaligned. Like, like that's what happened with Doge, right? Like they, they released so many coins so quickly that it, the, the incentives were screwed up. Right. I think what happened was the community was too small. Um, okay. I think inflation saved it. The fact that you can mine it for a joke, even when no one, so you know what saved Dogecoin? And I, I hate to say this because I don't like the Litecoin saving Dogecoin narrative. I think it was a mutually beneficial uh, partnership, but that's proving to be, know. yeah, for sure. Um, but I think Dogecoin saved Litecoin just as much as Litecoin saved Dogecoin. And that's a completely, you know, however you want to look at it. Um, Dogecoin then, survived like with no blockchain. There were people still like talking about it and trying to trade it on Reddit and sending each other tips through these third party applications, even though it wasn't in operation. Like that's why people picked it up again, because it had so much popularity, even though it you don't want to know. I I had so much Dogecoin. I bought it when the the original developers dropped it. Like that's when I got Dogecoin. And I'm not saying like Dogecoin is this savior of mankind or something. What I'm saying is consensus is social as much as it is blockchain oriented. And any protocol can come back from the dead. So I, like, it's very strange to me to hear people talking absolutes about what's going to happen in the future when no one predicted Dogecoin happening. I'm I'm giving you an absolute. I don't do it very often. People aren't going to pay a hundred dollars for a transaction. <laughs> well, you're right. A Some certain people class might, of people not, are not going to pay people, for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and and not layer one does need to be cheaper. I agree with that, and I. I'm with you on the Bitcoin Cash thing. On I don't like the way the Bitcoin Cash attack went down. However, it was uh, kind of hijacked by Bitmain, 
and I was a miner at the time. And I watched them flip-flopping their miners on and off and trying to attack Bitcoin and make it look like they were losing all their hash power and doing the ASIC boost to give themselves an extra, you know, with the empty blocks and all that stuff. They use that argument in the Bitcoin sphere in order to try to gain themselves power. Bitcoin Cash came out of it, and I didn't use Bitcoin Cash out of I guess, loyalty to Bitcoin, because at the time I was, I guess you could say I was a maximalist, but I was really just kind of a beginner and I saw Bitcoin as the most stable option. But at the time, I didn't really understand the whole block size debate. I figured both of them can coexist. You know, you can have big blocks, you can have small blocks. And that's why like Monero has adjustable blocks. But anyway, um, you know, sometimes you need Big blocks, you have more transactions. Adjustable Sometimes block, you don't need it. I kind of want to circle back to adjustable blocks because I don't, yeah, I don't know what I love them. But let me, let me, uh, well, but this is interesting because it kind of ties into the hash rate thing. So explain to me, and if anybody else, I think, you know, Boglamas, I feel like you have a good technical grasp sometimes. Okay. So there's the, there, I've always gotten confused by like, there's the mining nodes and like, the node that I run on my computer right at home, I'm not mining or anything, but right. I am a, I'm, I'm essentially storing a copy of the blockchain. Correct. Yes. And I, and I'm going to, my node is programmed like you're saying to follow the longest chain. Yes. So somebody, if somebody comes in and they 51% attack and let's say they sustain it for, I don't know. 10 days or something, right? Mining empty blocks. That's what that video talked about. I shared it up top. Right. So that I'm still going to follow that chain because that's still linked back to the original one. My node is still going to recognize that as the main chain, correct? If you keep running that version of the software, yes. Right. So if, if this other chain of people who are actually validating transactions would have to spring up, I mean, it would it would create a little bit of it would certainly image-wise be very damaging, like the social consensus you talk about. You just where... update the node software. Okay, well, explain that to me. So you push an update and you say, hey, look, we're being 51% attacked. This guy or this particular node is running this particular software, allows him to do this, this exploit. We do an update. You download that update. He no longer can use that exploit. But can you go on to your new... Can you just do your next chain? Can you just switch over as soon as you all switch? So basically, you either make the rules more strict or less strict, or you exclude that particular pool, or you know whatever needs to happen in order to end the attack. Just like you would do for any network that was under attack, you'd make a change to defend yourself against that. So you wouldn't wait 10 days. Well, and ultimately, like, you know, the big fear is obviously governments, right? It's like they're they're the ones with essentially unlimited cash and they can they can by force, you know, acquire insane amounts of electricity that none of us could ever fathom, right? So right. that's where I think the the multiple healthy chains has always been my thing. Like, okay, let's say that happens to Bitcoin, then to have something like Litecoin, Monero, uh I guess Doge would be with Litecoin, but these different algorithms ultimately makes it like a game of whack-a-mole, right? They, 
they'd be it'd be impossible is you you can't kill the idea you can kill the momentum of a particular coin but you can't kill the idea of these decentralized monies well and the no. other thing that antonopoulos talked about was that the more storms you weather the more durable your software becomes and the more trust so it while there is an argument for oh i'm you know this network has been attacked multiple why isn't Solana gone? Yeah, VCs That's... keep it pumped. Okay, but it's, can... it's taking a hit now because uh, FTX has to liquidate. I don't know how many billions of dollars worth of Solana. Right, so you have like FUD, you worth. have all kinds of narratives. But in the at the end of the day, why doesn't the software go down? And the software doesn't go down because it can't be taken. Like it can go offline and come back online and go offline. None of that, like. People are going to use it because it's cheaper and because it's faster than Ethereum. That's the like because there's consensus that I can use this thing and my funds are still there. That's all people care about. Yeah. Like that's the same thing that happened to Doge, but no one wants, uh, no one I know really talks about it in that light. They talk about it from a developer standpoint, or they talk about it from like the technical community standpoint, but. When it comes down to it, if Dogecoin wasn't on the radar, why would anybody even work on it? If I get that everybody has like their favorite, I don't have a favorite. I have favorite things about different chains. So, like Monero is my favorite when it comes to privacy. I like tail emission. You know, I I like aspects of different coins, and I'm watching to see when they start getting together. Ethereum is the closest one to being perfect. However, let's see if it ever implements privacy correctly. You know, like that's, it's, everything has like its golden pieces to it. But then, it, you know, there's always that thing missing that's on another chain. So I hear you with the multiple chain stuff. It's just, it's very hard to have these conversations. I think sometimes when everyone's rooting for their team, and I get this as a Litecoin thing, and I, Litecoin is great. Cool. You know, I, I love that. Litecoin. It's, it's a great implementation of Bitcoin. It's faster. They did the faster blocks. You know, they they were a test net for Bitcoin for the longest time. You know, doing the Segwit stuff early. Like, that's all great for the entire space. So, you know. Sorry, well, I, I feel bit, like I'm rambling well, a little bit. But. No, 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 it's fine. Because Well, go ahead, Animal. I've been, we've been cutting you off. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. My perspective is that these chains are eternal. Okay. Now, whether that is actually true or this just like 100 years until, you know, we get some kind of quantum coins or something, I don't know. But at the, at the current state of technology, uh, proof of work coins are, you know, going to outlive their creators, right? Like there's going to come a day where Charlie Lee passes away and Litecoin's going to continue doing its thing. Um, uh, this is something that I've always wondered, like, does he have a plan? Like, does, what's in his will? Is there, like, some kind of blueprint for the future of Litecoin in there? I don't know. But one thing that bothers me about Bitcoin Cash, and this is, like, I was, I was uh, like you, I used to mine Bitcoin. Like, I had some Bitmain stuff, and I saw the, the drama go down with Bitmain and, you know, uh, Roger Ver, um, and how it was, like, a media attack. It was a media blitz accompanied with... Uh, I guess a hostile takeover of miners of mining pools. Um, well, I was on Ant Pool and I I watched the the mining power switch back and forth on Ant Pool from Bitcoin to BCH. They were trying to oh yeah 
crash Bitcoin. Yeah, they were they were trying to make it look like Bitcoin was over, and that was that was kind of that was kind of like an eye opening moment to me. Like, okay, ASIC is is a dangerous thing, but Bitcoin is still making it through this somehow. So either, you know, it was just a way for for them to like up the drama and get more fees, or they really did try to take out Bitcoin, or they were testing the resilient like. I don't know the motivations. Yeah, behind it. was was this like uh, was this like a government coup that was masquerading as a as a minor like a Bitmain coup? Like I don't know, but yeah. one one thing is that right now the market cap of Bitcoin Cash is like under two uh, under four billion US dollars, or sorry, under five billion US dollars. How like how many billionaires out there in the world? Like how hard would it be for someone just to shake the market and to put a billion dollars in Bitcoin Cash, totally pump the price? Maybe like somehow managed to, you know, cause a pump that doubles its market cap. Like I said, these chains are are eternal. Forever is a long time. It could happen as inflation increases, as things continue to destabilize, as governments get more and more desperate. The risk of these things happening increases. With with Litecoin and Dogecoin, in their collaborative mining relationship, this isn't a risk. If they try to if they try to attack Litecoin at the price, like let's say like people are like I, I kind of think that Litecoin's undervalued, and I don't know if it's if it's a conspiracy or some or if it's just like maybe it's just Doge, you know, stealing the thunder for the moment. The fact is, script miners are making way more money than uh, SHA two fifty six miners. It was a master uh, Shane Billow posted something uh, about a week ago. Saying that, like, and I don't know if this is accurate or not. I'm not sure who's getting this information, so take it with a grain of salt. But, um, and I'm assuming this is with with equal equivalent wattage miners, right? So, like, the hashing doesn't compare between algorithms, but the wattage coming from the wall does. So, using that as a baseline, um, Bitcoin miners are making nine cents a day, whereas script miners, as Litecoin and Doge miners, are making three fifty a day. Right there, that's like even though. Litecoin's price is decreasing, even though it's not at the level uh, that it used to be with respect to Bitcoin's value, right? The the BTC LTC pair, and even though Dogecoin has pumped enormously, and it's still like, I remember the first time I bought Doge, it was like you know eighteen satoshis, right? And like so, it's still way above that. And the the point is. There's no danger of that hash rate migrating elsewhere. Like I feel it's more resilient. Um, and if like I'm I'm a I'm a hodler man. Like I I try to spend stuff when I can. Obviously, like if if there's if they have discounts and stuff, uh, some travel uh, companies have discounts for for crypto. I I'm less inclined and like I hate to admit it to spend it just because I well especially in the bear market, um, in 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 a bull market like. Yeah, I'm less shy, but yeah. Well, you know, I want to ask you because because what I'm kind of gathering, and I'm not, you know, I want to make sure we're all talking the same language here. But like, yes, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin run the same algorithm. But it hasn't proven to his point, and, and I've been baffled by it. There has been no attack on Bitcoin Cash. It'd be very easy for it to happen, right? Like, it's it for the longest time. I mean, it was less than a half a percent of hash power was going to Bitcoin Cash. So 
very easily 2% of Bitcoin miners could have decided they're just going to go start mining empty blocks on Bitcoin cash, but they haven't done it. Right. And that kind of proves the point of like, there's, there's something, you know, I'm not maybe intimately knowledgeable enough to know why that hasn't happened, but what I can do is look at the evidence and go, well, it hasn't happened. So obviously there's some reason why it's not happening because if this is going on three, four years, it could have easily happened. And with all the animosity, what better way, or even BSV, that's even got, that's even got way less, right? I mean, that's, that's gotta be even a fraction of Bitcoin cash. So why aren't they being 51% attacked if it is this looming threat? So it starts to make you go, okay, if 51% attacking is not really a threat long-term, uh, well, I shouldn't say long-term, at least in this I, short term with block rewards. And this might be, I, I was to just call you Bitcoin. Can I, can I call yeah, you? Yeah, you can call uh, me Crypto. Mike That's Tyson? my name. Can I call you on here, so. Crypto Tyson? Can I call you that? Sure. No problem. Will you talk like Mike Tyson? Because it would make it a lot more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So, Look, I like the guy. I don't want to mock him too hard. Um, but, yeah, this okay. is kind of a – I was trolling Maxis for a while on, on Bitcoin just because the laser eyes were, were getting annoying to me. But, I don't know, maybe I'll come up with a different persona along the way. No, but, it's good. Uh, it's good. I, I honestly, like, I feel, you know, take it how you will. You don't you don't have enough followers. I think you bring up some interesting points. I like that you're a contrarian a bit. And uh, you know, you that's gave us I don't have a lot about... of followers. I, I piss off everybody I think that's ever followed me. <laughs> well, but I mean, like, you know, with the M Web stuff, I know you came at Litecoin and like I think there's some legitimate conversations to be had. And it's not the you know, I think I think most Litecoiners have to accept like M Web is gonna be once we get mobile M Web, that's a huge upgrade, in my opinion to take one of the most prominent chains and give it a layer of privacy that Bitcoin doesn't have, uh, Dogecoin doesn't have is huge, but is that the end product? Is that the end all be all? And we should just sit on our hands and go, well, we're done. No, I don't think so. You know? And so I think it's fair to bring up some of that stuff. And I would rather know the limitations of the things that I'm using as opposed to like diving in head first going, thinking, Oh, I've got this amazing privacy when I really don't. Right. That was mainly, I think, what I was trying to point out about MWeb. I wasn't really trying to kick Litecoin down a notch. I just didn't like that everybody was talking about it as if it had the same security as something like uh, Monero or, or Darrow or Zcash. Um, right. Because it's not. And I've read what the developers had to say about uh, how it could be attacked now whether somebody has the motivation and resources to do one of those attacks is, is another question, but I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, security agencies of, of the large, uh, world governments have those type of budgets. Cause it's not, the, it's not the same type of budget that you need for a 51% attack. Let's just right, right. get that out of the way. Yeah, it's I, not, I do it's believe not that the NSA is, is monitoring MWeb probably at this point already. Before we yes, yeah, And the, the more connection, the more tags you have, it's an exponential map, right? So the more things that you've identified, the more things you can identify. And that's kind of how it gets weaker and weaker the more you build a map. But uh, there's things built into it to mitigate that. And there's ways that it mushrooms off to try to isolate, you know, how how you can draw your maps and stuff. But, but Dandelion, uh, right, is one example, I think. Yeah. The, the, but they were also talked about the weaknesses of Dandelion and, you know, 
it, you know, it, with enough resources, you can also overcome this and, and find out the, the branching off points. But the, the main point is, I, I think about this whole subject that we're talking about, like trying to find, uh, we're all talking about the future. And the future is, is it Litecoin? Is it, I think it's multi-chain. And I think someone's going to come up with a protocol. And I think Ethereum is the closest one at the moment to creating like a, a Web3, you know, internet of everything, every coin can live here type space. And yeah, I, I definitely think that we're going to have like an FX market that's accessible and cheap and quick. And it's going to integrate, you know, fiat currencies, uh, much to my chagrin and cryptocurrencies like you're, you're saying as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, hundred percent. So let me well, let me before you jump into that, oh, hang on, before you jump into that, because I want to. Uh, what I was the point I was trying to make is like, when I talk about how fees, in my opinion, again, it's it's not a ra no rational actor is going to pay those kind of fees, and if we get to a point, you know, where Bitcoin levels off in price and block rewards start to fall, like hash rate will inevitably come down, and it should. Like at some point in time, hash rate will have to settle into the point where it's only at the level where it makes money. You know, they're not, people aren't going to, you can't trust that people are going to mine altruistically from now until the end of time, right? So let's assume that we expect miners to at least break even. Um, what I'm saying is that I think the thing that I have to kind of wrap my brain around is that that doesn't necessarily mean it's a security risk. Or, or is it when... Let's say 70% of ASIC SHA-256 miners are bricked and they are readily available to be picked up at, you know, no price, you know, basically free, right? And you have someone with unlimited electricity. Does it become a risk at that point, do you think, once block rewards run out? Yeah. Proof of work is proof of power. That's kind of how I look at it. Um, and that power instead of using money to buy Bitcoin, they're using power to buy Bitcoin. And I think there's a lot coming online because there are people that would like to acquire Bitcoin uh, without the price going up. So you have, you have large mining farms that will sell OTC, which doesn't hit a retail exchange and doesn't move the price. So if you're a really rich person and you want to buy Bitcoin, but you don't want the market to go crazy because you're late to the party, well, then you just make a deal with a large mining firm and you help them, uh, you know, pump up, you know, free, free power locations, buildings, you know, systems. And then you you buy from them and you make it a separate company or whatever you have to do. And you just do over the counter trading and the price doesn't move. And you go for that last two million of Bitcoin that's out there to mine for the next hundred, what, 40 years or so. So that's, I think that's how they're acquiring Bitcoin right now without moving price. They're using their other capital, which is not dollars on a retail market like the rest of us have to use. It is literally electricity, connections, buildings, locations, real estate. And that's how they're buying Bitcoin. And it doesn't move the price at all. Is the end game to basically bypass some of these like swift networks and stuff and just line their pockets you think i think it's to i think it's to control the network which is what 
sailor is so excited about he starts like getting all fidgety in his chair talking about it um when he that's talks the, about lightning the, network that's the drugs that's the drugs yeah well <laughs> he, he he starts doing that you know where he like breathes out and like shakes his head he, you've seen it um <laughs> and he starts talking about the lightning network and it's you know these this network that's going to revolution you know there's the coin but there's the network and he's trying to own what he considers as large of a chunk of the network as possible he's doing it very publicly I don't know why, what like what his end goal is, but he's very pro Lightning Network, and I I used to be pro Lightning Network, not like him, not I wasn't like you know having fever dreams and stuff, but I was thinking, okay, this could be good, this could speed up payments, and now I'm thinking, well, I think this is good for two parties or like large banks that want to do a bunch of Bitcoin transactions between each other and then close out, but it is not good for end users at all, so. Well, it's the bank. Well, I don't... It's, the, it's the it's the banks. It's the future banks, right? Like to become the choke points in a system. Well, and, that, and that's where I that when I was talking about where I think BCH. What I wasn't saying is I don't. How I I wasn't intimately involved in block wars. I I bought in 2016, but I was like I didn't know anything what I was doing. I'd heard about it, and I started to get more engaged in this stuff a little in 2017, but I didn't know the technicals at all. And what I was saying, though, is looking back, like the big thing BCHers were saying is the small blockers are essentially trying to artificially constrict access, I guess we'll call it, to BTC. And that makes it like a banker's coin. And that that has that is proving to be true. Right. Well, the, Time the is going smaller on. they can keep the blocks, the more they can force people over to lightning, which can be controlled with channels. Right. So. And, a, and it's and what's been when you mentioned cultural um, cultural consensus or social consensus, like what it, it's not it wouldn't be a huge leap for Bitcoin to say okay let's go to two megabytes right not or whatever you know double double where we're at concluding segwit and everything that wouldn't be a huge problem for anybody I mean there wouldn't be a problem on nodes it would. Uh, allow a lot more people to participate on chain. It would bring fees down for a lot of people, but that social consensus has gotten so rigid. Um, I don't know if that'll ever happen. Well, I mean, that's why Satoshi left because, well, that's not the exact reason, but the too many chefs spoil the cook, basically like it's, or like Vitalik says, it's like herding cats. Like at some point, the prod, the number of people working on the project becomes so big that you get analysis paralysis. You can't make changes. Um, and whatever stage you got to, you're now stuck at that stage. And the stage they were at at the time was one megabyte blocks. And the fear of going forward at the time was, you know, these people running smaller nodes aren't going to be able to afford it. And Satoshi's argument was, well, just like processing power, memory goes down in price and doubles in capacity on a schedule. So we should find something similar to that and think that, oh, yeah, in the year 2020 is not going to be the same thing as the year 2010. And they fought over that. You know, the, the whole community fought over that. And it was interesting, but also sad because I saw people use underhanded tactics and everybody was... Uh, basically censoring different sections of the community that 
weren't necessarily wrong. They just had a different opinion. And it was it's to see BCH come out of that as like a like there's nothing wrong with Bitcoin Cash besides the way that they decided to do the community backing of it, which was to pretend that they had no other choice. I agree. And and yeah, they, they, they lack consensus and yeah, that that was a problem. Well, okay, but and, and this is animal. I almost touch on this because obviously, as Litecoiners, in a way, we're semi big blockers, right? We're four X to begin with, but and MWeb adds a little bit to that. And you you said, does Charlie have like a will or something like that? One thing with MWeb that he did is that one megabyte MWeb block is flexible up to ten megabytes. So I think he's, and I'm not a big blocker. I don't. I don't. I don't think there should be unlimited block sizes. I think no. You're you're a fee guy. You like them, or you think you think it's it's important. And I, I agree. Yeah, I think you I have. Think to, that... I think full blocks are important. I think you. I think you have to have a a free market of fees. Like there has to yeah. be a legitimate because if you have unlimited, you're not having a true. There's no competition, which means you're not understanding real demand, and I think that distorts incentives and and screws things up. But I think you get I, rid of fees. That's <laughs> I hate to well, say it, but I, well, okay, I think but, fees well, go fair away. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe we can talk about that. But I think I think Charlie is kind of hinting at that to restrict the block size is not. It's not what he thinks is the future. And the, and it goes back, like you said, it, herding cats. Right. One of the things I've always said about Litecoin is that yes, Charlie doesn't control the network, but having him as this kind of light this beacon of this is the guy we're going to ultimately kind of defer to has been very helpful for litecoin as a community and makes us a lot more cohesive than these other communities yeah i just add that the whole bch uh debate happened on reddit right like am i i'm not um i'm not alone in thinking that that this discussion occurred in reddit in a place that's heavily moderated and censored that we know today at least so like it was almost as if the, the, the decision, it, it wasn't really democratic. I felt like it was being manipulated from, from the get-go. Um, and the Bitcoin forums. There was some big complaints about the Bitcoin forums being heavily uh, moderated, censored and moderated. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not even able to have a real uh, debate, I guess. I, I, don't, I, I mean, we can't really vote on it as users. Just... Like what are what, like now we're having this BIP three hundred discussion, right? I don't know if we're still having it or if it's fizzled out at this point. But like, how does the community decide what's best for the coin without you know coming at each other's throats? That's decentralization, and I think what we forget about decentralization is that means that things fork, and that's not a bad thing. Well, and you can also walk away. Right, you're not forced to use any coin you don't like. You just go, you know, this doesn't have. And you got to pick which which trade offs, right? And the BTC crowd is so hell bent on uh, number go up that <laughs> it's like they've just it's clouded their vision for everything else, in my opinion. I think they're more scared of inflation, and I think the fear of inflation came from the 2008 crash and other crashes and. The fear of inflation is what causes us to have this 
schedule and to have fees. If you get rid of the fear of inflation and you have an inflationary coin, but that inflates responsibly, not on the whims of politicians and, and people that ha want emergency powers, uh, then you don't need fees because you take the fees from the hodlers. But at the same time, you don't fee the hodlers so much that they won't hold your coin. So what you do is you have a fee issuance schedule, something like Dogecoin accidentally implemented geniusly. Oh, one Doge equals one Doge. Doge came up with that first. Uh, 10,000 more coins every block. Ha ha, it's a joke. You know, we're going to waste this thing away to nothing. And what happened? They accidentally stumbled upon tail emission, which means you really don't need fees. You don't need fees at all. The price will balance out with the emission. And miners well, it, always get paid. It becomes a balance of who's going to pay. Well, this is this goes back to the security conversation. So, like, who's going to ultimately pay for the hash rate that you do have in a proof of work network? If you decide it's all fee payers, which is kind of where Litecoin is because of the merge mining, but like as an individual chain, Litecoin and Bitcoin have both basically put the burden on anybody who wants to use the network. So we'll call it a tax on use, which if you want to slow something down, you tax it, right? Um, and that's where Bitcoin, you know, is solely, they're, they're creating a system where no one's going to want to use it. And the people who hold are benefiting from the people who use. I would say you're paying for less for security and more to be at the front of the line. That's well, no, but if I'm, a hod if I'm a hodler, I'm not paying anything is my point. Right, but your inflation benefit, so is how you would pay, right? So in Dogecoin, if you're a hodler of Doge, then you're you're paying in inflation. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I, one of the things that I've always felt is like this, again, fear of inflation. Uh, the big thing, if you are in the, the real world, the business world, um, Obviously, rampant inflation is bad, but if you are aware of what inflation is, that allows you to make decisions. So just having a fixed inflation schedule is more That's important. That's great. Now I can predict the future, right? <laughs> right. That's exactly right. I can make decisions based on something that I know is going to happen. It, whether it's 0%, 1%, 10%, at least I know, and I can plan and build based around that. And I can also make decisions. Do I want to use that network? Do I want to engage with that, that money system, right? And that'll make it more desirable to work in any of these systems, whatever the inflation is. And I, and I think there's, you want to try to be as close to population growth as possible. But, um, you know, if it's too high, if Doge was 10% forever, then you would go, okay, that's too high. That's not that's not a usable network and you would go try to seek another one out. But if it settles in it like gold, again, like you said, they stumbled into it. And I think the tail emission, the merge mining with Litecoin, it's very beneficial to Litecoin to have that. I feel like they share, they share this network. And it, I don't know. What do you think about the idea that maybe they're essentially kind of the same network? I think more things are Bitcoin than what's labeled Bitcoin. Yeah, Litecoin's a Bitcoin, small b Bitcoin. I, I believe. Yeah. I believe that. And then some people will say, "Well, that 
lets the guys that argue that, well, Bitcoin isn't rare because you can just make fork it tomorrow and make another Bitcoin. It's like, well, there's value in the network. So if you can get a network going, then that's the right amount of inflation, in my opinion. Right. So if, if I can spin up a fork of Bitcoin and get enough people using it that there's value in that network, then that is uh, rationalized or basically it's it's valid inflation versus just coming up with a schedule. It's organic inflation because someone saw a use case, they forked, it was a use case that was strong enough to have a fork that was usable for something and they minted enough tokens with enough inflation to get those people that want to participate in that action. It, it's very hard to talk about this stuff, I feel like, in the Bitcoin community because we've been hammered home. Inflation is bad. Inflation is bad. They're just stealing from you. It, the whole world divided by 21 million. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we know <laughs> Bitcoin, not crypto. And But it, it feels very sacrilegious talking about this stuff in a crypto talk because you don't know how many times I've been shouted down saying like, hey, you know, Bitcoin was the price of Bitcoin went up the fastest when it's the most inflation schedule was the highest. Well, now you got me thinking about this. Really, when you talk about inflation is 21 million over infinity, whatever, the amount of users is really ultimately the system you have to kind of control. So if we're, if you're at, let's say a hundred million users today, which there aren't, but whatever, if you, infl if you were to add 2% to the supply, but your adoption rate is faster than 2%, you're actually going to, you're going to, you're going to buy, you're going to sur surpass that. It's going to slow the U S dollar growth in the, uh, in the, sh like, it'll ultimately slow it from being like a gazillion dollars, which is this dream, this moonshot. But reality is you take a hundred million, you multiply it by 1.02. How many years would it truly take to get to 8 billion? Right. Right. And there's some kind of balance between, I'm, I'm still a fee guy. I still think you have to charge people to be on the network, <laughs> but maybe I'm crazy. But you know, I, I think I, don't think, I, don't I think, think you charge with the end of the world inflation, I, and I because I think that's a fee everyone will pay because it looks like zero every time they transact, and as long as their position they hold in their wallet goes up versus uh, inflated fiat currencies, then you're good. But then you run into people can abuse the network if you have no fees. And that's the whole new. Uh, so the, the only way to the, the pruning nodes. That's the other part I don't grasp yet. And maybe so you don't this stuff. I'm that's the reason that. why I said you, you're not paying to protect the network. You're paying for a place in line. So I want my transaction to go through first, and there's limited space. So there's not just limited coins. There's limited space, and that's right. the problem. Yep. But if you solve the problem of of scalability, then fees basically go to zero. Well, right. You could say, like, let's say the inside the protocol if satoshi had implanted i don't know as soon as fees hit 50,000 satoshis there's a you know for an extended period of time let's say like a difficulty adjustment 
for two weeks, fees are regularly over 10,000 Satoshis, there's going to be a block size increase, right? Something like that. Would that be, that gets back to the adjustable block size. And I'll, I guess I'll explain why I don't like it. I feel like it's, uh, it's too unpredictable for, for miners and how much to expend trying to secure the network or how much to invest securing the network when they don't know how much they're going to collect in fees. That's why I don't like about it. And that's and you why got my head, you got my head spinning with the whole electricity thing. It's money. <laughs> <laughs> it is money. It's a, it's currency. Uh, if you have it and you can charge for it and people will give you money, you can also use it to, you know, run networks and, create value, run factories, and you can also mine Bitcoin and sell it to yourself. So, um, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do with capital that's not fiat dollars. And I think we're just used to thinking in financial terms because of, you know, what we're able to get a hold of as, you know, tokens and things like that. Whereas the guys that are really playing the game are playing with real assets. You know, these guys are playing with yachts and skyscrapers and plots of land and buildings and i don't know if you've ever tried to play monopoly with a guy that's got hotels and you've got two greenhouses but you land on the wrong space and you're done so that's basically what they're doing to bitcoin right now and i like bitcoin but i see it as being taken over slowly right now by you know low development you know stagnation and the whole the mining has been super centralized with ASICs. The guys that make the chips are the guys in control. Um, and the guys that that make the chips handshake with the guys that have the plots of land and the the power stations. It's just... But that's temporary, right? Uh, no, that is permanent unless you go to proof of stake, which... Well, proof on, of stake on. has its problems, but I think proof of work is the first step. I think proof of stake is the second step. And I think there is a step beyond that, which is more transactional, relational, which is hash graph. But they, you know, the powers that be, the guys that patent stuff, patented that one. So, uh, well, hang on, hang on. <laughs> because, because here's what, here's where I'm at is that if the, if ultimately proof of work, like you're saying, the game theory doesn't play out because of the social consensus. It doesn't make sense to attack proof of work. What? Not forever. It does. It. it the end what? of proof of work is people is is the guys that collected all the money having to move it and pay themselves fees. Well, okay, but like if if I, I don't have to worry about security long term. It's kind of what you're saying, like that since the 51% attack isn't really feasible, even if hash rate drops dramatically, that there's no... God damn it. Now I lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh shoot, I'm going to lose it here. That there there doesn't need to be a huge... Like, that mining will ba will go back to being more decentralized because it won't make sense to do these huge ASICs to collect a small amount of fees. And so in the short term, yes, during the distribution period, and that's where I think where you and I agree, like the allocation of coins, having a controlled allocation and a way of distributing them in a decentralized way or as decentralized as possible way is the best way to go about it. 
But once that fades away and we're only talking about fees, yes, hash rate drops. There's still no security risk. Then there's no need to have to convert to a proof of stake system like that. Those big players won't have an incentive to centralize that mining. Like you're saying. Well, kind of like, kind of like what Monero is at right now, right? That's where Monero is today. If Bitcoin Monero, Monero resists centralization through ASIC resistance. Yep. They truly believe that privacy and and the thing that Satoshi said, uh, one CPU, one vote, was the way to go. Um, so in the future, in the future, if Bitcoin yeah. miners, if it gets so again, I don't. People are not going to pay the money. I'm telling you, a thousand percent. So. <laughs> They say never say never. I'm saying never. So if it's 50 cents to transact on Bitcoin and all you're collecting in a block is $2,500 in transaction fees, you're only going to have CPU miners. You're going to, it's going to revert back down to where Monero is today. Well, the difficulty will go down. So, right. So you'll have just a few people. Securing the network and the social consensus is what will will ultimately be its security. Is that kind of I, what you're saying? You got to increase the block size that to get more fees, which is the whole argument back when BCH was happening was that it was the miners wanting to increase the block size so they could just get more fees for themselves and they don't care about the network. And but I have no honestly, I don't have a problem with that. That just the way they went about. Uh, subverting the whole uh, social consensus was the thing I had a problem with, with I don't where think, Roger Bear was crying and, you know. <laughs> I don't think increasing the block size increases fees that much. Well, it increases the number of transactions you can put in a block, which increases the, the number of fees you can get from a block. Which I don't agree. I don't agree. You don't think it, so? It, that, it, think that it, happens? it dissolves the, the fee market. So with smaller box blocks, in order to get your transaction pushed, you need to increase the fee. So I, I don't know if it, if if it even. Well, you're not um, even. There's a hundred thousand. There's over a hundred thousand transactions waiting in the low fee line right now. Yeah, so, so you're so not okay. even. You're not even close to exhausting that. No, I agree. Right, I'm with you. But like BCH, this is where I I I have a problem with these guys, and I want to I want to learn about flexible block space. By the way, this is an interesting conversation. I'm appreciating this. So if you expand the block space to the point you say, like, everybody can come in. We have no restriction on block space. So right now on BCH, it's like a half. It's like point zero 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 five dollars You can pack that thing with, you could pack a full 32 megabyte block. I think that's where they're at right now. Okay. With that size transaction, with that price. And you're going to bring in less per block than Bitcoin is today. Because like a 10 cent transaction fee isn't really that much to people, yet it's like 2,000 times as much as a BCH fee. So when you're talking 50 cents, it's whatever, 10,000 times as much money is coming in. So you're not, you can't, you can't win by volume when the bottom price is basically zero, unless you start going to like gigabyte blocks, like what BSV is doing. Well, why wouldn't it go to zero if it's real technology? All like all 
efficient technologies because otherwise you have a head span, towards like zero. why wouldn't somebody just span the shit out of the network if the it's network can free. handle it then the fee is zero if the network can't handle it then the fee is something so i'm saying that your fee is based off of how many people you have in the below a certain amount of fee line so the fact that bitcoin's not even servicing like hundreds of thousands of transactions right now is in my opinion the reason why the fees are high the fees Right. can come down and the miners can get paid the same amount as long as there's somebody in that fee line. Yes, I I would agree. I, I don't think I think once you start having empty space, that's when you're that's when you lose the fee argument. You full blocks are like optimal. That's, oh yeah, definitely. You want you want to for every block yeah. you want to fill it and get as take all the highest fees you can and get rid of the people that are on zero and make them wait and do everybody else first. Right, and and they're doing the same thing Monero's doing. BCH, they want to do this flexible block space. Yeah, and it I, makes sense. And what my problem with it is that, just like inflation, you say it's important that businesses want to be able to predict inflation. Mm-hmm. Miners want to be able to predict what their fee market is going to look like, and if you essentially are willing to destroy the free fee market by expanding the block and never actually causing real demand. You're, you'll never develop a real fee market and they won't know how much to invest because they won't know how much return they're going to get on their investment. Okay. So it, it's Does this, that make sense? <laughs> or, and maybe I'm not understanding what you were trying to say the whole time, which is you're trying to say if the block subsidy goes to zero, you don't think fees are going to cover it. I think they're going to have to do something like tail emission. So yeah, I, uh, I agree with that, but I'm saying, yeah. I, I think you have to only increase the block size when it's become clear, like we're in a situation with Bitcoin right now, even in a horrible bear market, they're at full blocks they can't keep up. That community should be going, hey, we got to go to two megabytes. The clearly oh, the world at is least saying double, right? Demand. Yeah, right, right. So take it incrementally. Do it as demand uh, is there, but don't do it because you had one big block. Like, oh, we just had a rush of in. Like, if ordinals came in. And they, they just let the block space go. They wouldn't have collected any fees. They wouldn't have created a competitive market, or if they would have expanded just because of that one time. I just don't feel like that's. I just it doesn't make sense to me. I guess. So I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of I agree. Like, like I feel like we're having a like a tr- third, fourth level conversation here. I hope people are following us. But uh, anyway, but what's interesting is that like the, there is there is some kind of a runway. Like we can see it coming. And we can make adjustments in time to to alleviate pressure, right, on on the, the average user. Yeah, the like problem why, is that with why, with why not a difficulty adjustment for fees? Like Satoshi creates difficulty adjustments. It doesn't make it's it's totally logical to say if your blocks are full for six fucking months, it's time for a block change. Or you know, well to ch- to change the fee amount. How is that? So can can you change the fee amount like by by releasing an update to Bitcoin Core? I think so. I think it just takes uh, moving around a couple decimals. And so if there was some kind of consensus mechanism that enabled this to happen when, you know, because at some point the miners are just getting fatter and fatter, right? And it's the users that are suffering because the fees are too high. I don't Um, like the term fee. (laughs) I think the term fee is bad. It's a toll. It's not a fee. Sure. Yeah, actually... I mean, makes sense. 
because you're, there's you're, no you're, they're no using this highway that's being charged like the the bitcoin network doesn't say hey i'm charging you this amount you just look at the amount that other people are paying it it's a fee market which is really a toll um and in that market you're deciding hey i'm going to put my thing in the middle or lower middle or i want i want to make sure it goes through i'm going to put it at the top and i'm going to look at the mempool and i'm going to see who's putting you know whatever fee they're putting at the highest i got to either be at the highest or i got to be in the middle or so it's a market there's no actual fee it's just oh my a, god speaking of sorry to to cut you off there but like did you see that that transaction that oh god some guy spent <laughs> half a million dollars worth of fees <laughs> it was apparently paypal it was apparently paayPal no yeah it that's as they said it was a paypal account or was paypal the business themselves? it was paypal the business what are they doing over there <laughs> who's the some intern lost her job <laughs> Well, it's it's funny because I like I was in the cake wallet space today, um, and they they're they're like nano guys. These nano people, and maybe you're a nano person. I don't know. I, I feel like we're all over the place. We're talking altcoin, altcoin city in here. But um, I asked in there. I thought I had a nano person, and I asked. This is a very off the wall question. I said, "Well, once all the coins are distributed, um, would." Would it make sense to go to a system where you know that anybody, like you hard fork into a system where there is no more proof of work because the proof of work was more a distribution network. And maybe there's a way to like, maybe it doesn't have to be proof of stake. Like, I don't, I, see, now you got me all confused as shit because what is security? Like, why is there need to be proof of stake then? So basically... <laughs> You in order to validate so, the transactions, it, somebody has to validate the transactions, right? Right. It's some. It's running a node and having consequences for running a node irresponsibly. That's what it is. So, uh, if you have history behind that, right? You need an incentive, so you pay them in inflation. <laughs> and what happens is, you can actually take that proof of work that's already been done and use it again because now i have a trustworthy network that's been running on proof of work uh for such and such amount of time we have so many users that are onboarded and there's stake in the network like if i lose my tokens i'm losing something it's not like the early days of bitcoin where i spend ten thousand bitcoins and i get a slice of pizza this is serious stuff now and what happens is okay well if i want to run a node i have to make a contract with the network and the network's not going to let me on if I don't follow these strict rules and stake in the network is at stake, <laughs> I'm going to lose my value of this, of being able to use this network. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't run it in a particular way. That's very strict. That that's where the security comes in because I, I think, I think that's only half the story because there's okay. also the people like, you know, Vitalik and the Solana VCs, who changed the code for the validators who you know put out updates that these validators need to need to move to these new builds that they need to adopt in order to be part of the network and it's 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 not as uh democratic as a bitcoin or litecoin would be in that like well you remember the dow hack and how you know vitalik was just like you know let's reverse that transaction let's like you I know like, let's fall right that. here that he's he actually I don't like it in that 
one person was so de decisive. I do like it in the fact that somebody did something, fixed the network, and what he said was not that... The network was I'm... not broken, by the way. It was a smart contract that was broken. The network itself functioned as it was designed to. Right. But what he was saying is, I'm going to take away... I'm going to roll it back, but I'm also going to take away the ability to do that particular exploit. And this is something devs should do. And, you know, if the community sees it as a good decision, they will follow me. If they don't, then they will stick with the guys that and the other chain. That that was his ultimate uh, philosophy on the on the decision. And a lot of people saw that as him trying to control things. What I saw it as because he's a young kid, I think he's very naive, but also he took decisive action. And I think it was smart but also controversial and what he was trying to say is devs don't have ultimate control but if i make this change and everybody follows me then that's what everybody wanted and you you're saying that there is some coercive nature to it in that oh we just push out these updates and you have to use them otherwise uh you lose your value i i don't run an ethereum node so i don't know exactly how their proof of stake and how their updates work but in the past, you had to do a fork if you were going to do an update, or at least a voted-on user-activated soft fork that's backwards compatible to maybe fix or patch something. If they're not doing that anymore, then I could see that as being uh, a big issue. Well, it's almost like like you're talking about. It's more social consent. Like he did leave it up to social consensus. No one was forced to go mine ETH. They could have just stuck with ETC. I think that's that was the point he tried to bring up at the time, but a lot of people shouted him down, and there was a lot of hardcore decentralists uh, that were like, no hierarchies on my watch. And the thing is, I think humans automatically assemble themselves into hierarchies, and I think it's up to us to decide when a hierarchy gets too big and split it. And it's a messy process, and I don't think any one person is 100% correct on that. Bro, we've been sitting here for six fucking years listening about how Charlie sold his coins. You, <laughs> you're talking to the crowd going, you know how exhausting it is to hear people act like that was some sort of centralization point? You're just like, God damn, dude. Like it was yeah, a betrayal. I, yeah. I remember reading, <laughs> I remember where I was. I think I was in an airport um, in like Georgia or something when I was reading about that. And I was like, wow, he just dumped all of it. And I, I, read all the people freaking out in the news about it and how he doesn't. And I was like, no, I think this guy's doing a Vitalik move right now, which is he really believes in it. He doesn't want to look like the centralizer and, you know, he's going to get thrown under the bus for it. But at the same time, I think he's an earnest person just from, you know, what he's actually done in the space, which is, He's always been supportive of Bitcoin, supportive of Bitcoin, even though he created a fork. Um, you know, he's been honest about his motivations for doing it, and the reason why he, uh, you know, would accept all kinds of changes to Litecoin to protect Bitcoin. So, I think, in a similar way to what Vitalik did, is he took decisive action. Now, it wasn't a de developer move; it was more of a social economic move but i think it was a similar you know point of contention basically well it's, it's impossible 
I think it was a personal move because I don't think that it's impossible to have uh, clear thoughts when you're you're motivated by money, right? And as much as it's like, oh, well, CEOs don't sell the stock. Like if a CEO sold all the stock, you lose confidence in it. Like, well, yeah, this isn't a company, right? This is more like he's thinking about building the future of money. And if you let greed cloud your judgment, you're not going to make the right decisions. And I think that's exactly what Vitalik did as well. He just, his moral action was, I can't let criminals get away. Damn it, hurt all the people that trust my network. I can't allow them to do that this early in the game. And I have to do it in a fair way where if the public agrees with me, they'll run my nodes. And it wasn't giving up money, which he has done. Yeah, all kinds of token projects have just dumped coins on him and he's donated them. But it was more of a, just like, Charlie Lee, it was more of a moral decision of these guys did something wrong. It's hurting a lot of people on the network. We need to do something about it and get things back on track again. And whether he what, what he did was right or wrong, I think it's a very similar decision-making process of I'm trying to do what's morally right. I, I think that's all it was. Right. And 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 I think the th thing with Ethereum, I'm, and I'm not an Ethereum user, I don't have any engagement with it uh, to be a lover or a hater of it. Um, but with all these things, like time is what proves things out, you know. And I think that's why I'm a believer that a lot of this ordinal stuff will ultimately prove to be very important for Bitcoin and Litecoin because these two networks, and along with Dogecoin, are going to they're going to be around for a long, long time. And that's what ultimately will attract. That's what's going to gravitate people towards the networks that have been here, that have proven the test of time, and that have this long-term social consensus. It's very hard to break into that. And I and I tend to agree with you with, like, uh, I've made jokes. I said I'm a Solana buyer at $2. I see enough social activity around Solana. <laughs> I don't care about it. But I could, but I do think it's it's gained enough interest that maybe it survives. I don't know.